Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I am bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFour sitting in the Doug's House studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Nobody's joining me again today. It is another Greatest Of episode that I'm bringing to you. Nothing really specific. In this episode, it's just some of my favorite stories that have been told, you know, in this whole podcast life. You know, I'll give you this. The the one at the very end with Dylan DeWeese is one of the most asked about uh, and stories that's ever been told. You know, it was, it started a whole controversy on Duck South, not like controversy bad but just people couldn't believe what dylan tells in the story was true but it it, it was true and it happened to dylan you know hunting with a a guide up in missouri and let's just say dylan left the trip really really unhappy also today coming up why is Tony Vandemore shortstop in the Ducks? David Lindsay tells the story of taking the Muslim turkey hunting. <laughs> that was a, a nutty one. You know, one, another one that is talked about a lot is Josh and his brother-in-law running into the alligator on the duck hunt. You'll hear about that one today. One of my favorites of all time is Pat Pitt. Now, Pat and I were doing a, Pat, Patrick, and Steven and I were doing the, the Waterfowler series. And we had been talking about bands. We had done a specific episode talking about bands. And the subject of snow geese came up. And this is where it really, really get, gets interesting. I, I was talking about snow geese and how I couldn't stand them. Everybody knows me, knows a lot about me. I, I can't stand snow geese. They ruined a lot of good duck holes. Well, I brought up the topic of snow geese and how they hated airplanes. And Pat and Patrick told one of the greatest stories that ever has been told on the podcast. And here it is right now. Uh, I'm, I'm going to throw the craziest question that's probably ever going to be asked to y'all. Uh, I, I seriously want to know the answer to this. Snow geese. Why do airplanes freak them out? Small single engine airplanes. But they don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if they equate that to an eagle. 
you know, the, maybe the size or so. I, I don't know. I, the dad and I, Stephen and I have talked about this a thousand times. Uh, you know, airplanes don't bother ducks, but a, a snow goose, you can chase one through your living room doorway with an airplane. They are terrified of them. And we've it's seen it happen. But it's just the it's just sound of it, too, because there's been days that have been foggy or cloudy, and they just hear it. And the snow geese will, will, will run from them. But, uh, yeah, it's I'm definitely... Always, I've always wondered if they were dropping dynamite on them. <laughs> At the Arctic <laughs> Circle, if they're dropping dynamite out of these planes on them. Because it freaks know. them out. And don't get lost with an in in the airplane. You will I, dude, you will you will hit you'll run all oh, up yeah. in them and hit them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well we know firsthand about the radio controlled airplanes. Uh, well not exactly were, firsthand. We weren't part well, of it. Well, I mean we we weren't but. there but no more than what the fine was, I'd have I'd have joined in. But uh they caught these, a good friend of ours was a game warden, he's retired now over there in Arkansas, and, you know, one Sunday they were just driving around, and they're hearing all this gunfire, and I mean, it, you know, Rick said, you know, it sounded like uh, a skeet range, I mean, just, you know, bang, 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 they drive down, and they're sitting there watching, there was an airstrip, a, a dirt airstrip out in front of this guy, you know, like a lot of the farms over there have, where they can land the crop dusters, and and refuel them and whatever, but uh, uh, they had two radio-controlled airplanes, and the snow geese were migrating back north, and they'd put a plane up, and they would, almost like a cutting horse, they'd cut a bunch of snows out of the flock, and they'd get up on top of them, cutting figure eights, and get behind them, and push them right down into the guys that were shooting. Now, these guys were wearing... Sport shirts and blue jeans and sitting in lawn chairs, and they'd get 100, 150, 200 snow geese, and they'd kill damn near every one of them. Uh, kids were running, kids were running around picking them up. We got videos of it. Kids were running around picking them up, and you know they had a, a burn barrel full of shells. They'd been doing this for a long time, and you know when they went in there and, and flashed the the, the, the gold. Uh, you know, the guy said, well, we were doing over across the street in my yard, but they, you know, kept breaking shingles off the house or going through the living room window or something like that when they were, but, uh, they were killing them. The story of the series. Oh, we got, a good friend of ours was in on it. And I think the fine only was like $150 or something. And then the judge saw the video that they had confiscated and he said, I better not ever get anybody in here again but i mean the snow they would get the geese would get so tired being harassed by the airplane that they'd land right there on the ground and they'd shoot them on the ground i mean <laughs> it it was it was uh, it looked i mean they were grilling hamburgers and hot dogs i mean it was a sunday afternoon picnic for them and they were stomping the geese i mean just stomping them but uh, i usually try to keep my control that's the best <laughs> so far, oh gosh, I'm just envisioning mm. this as you're telling well, they would, and shooting they geese. Would, they would keep a plane up at all times, intercepting these flocks of geese that were traveling. You know, and I mean, they're sitting there with binoculars, like you know, a spotter. You know, well, here comes you know another string of them, and they they would keep one plane up all the time and wanted to get low on fuel. 
they'd send the other one up and bring that one back, and they would duct tape the holes where it'd been shot, the pellet holes in the wings and whatnot, and uh, have it ready to go back up. And, you know, they were keeping a plane in the air the whole time. And the guys running the airplanes were having just as much fun as the guys doing the shooting. Uh, and I forget, the boys may remember how many geese it Rick said they had at that particular time. I mean, it was oh, up in the hundreds. It was, it was yeah. over. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, I think they had just started for the day, and they had something, you know, in the hundreds, in the low hundreds. But I don't know. We we had to move the party because geese are knocking the shingles off the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean. The guy's wife got mad because they bounced them off her car hood and, and broke windows out and her azaleas and everything else in the yard. And, and uh, uh, this had been going on for some time. But, uh, I mean, it was a bunch. Like I say, it looked like a Sunday school picnic out there. You know, the kids running around, you know, dragging geese on the ground. Little kids, you know, grabbing a goose and dragging it back. And I mean, it was... Uh, it was pretty entertaining to watch. I'm all for killing snow geese. And no, no, I'll take that. I'm a big proponent of killing a lot of snow geese. Next up, like I said earlier in the opening of the podcast, Josh Webb. Josh is telling the story of him and his brother-in-law running into a gigantor dinosaur alligator on a duck hunt. That's pretty doggone good listen to it now but i thought it would be and ever since i saw that alligator last night i thought it was a great opportunity especially if you were going to be here today josh tell that quick story real fast about you oh, and your brother wall hunt uh, you know yesterday morning we were actually there that's where we went uh and well i say that we were we were in that same little slough Mm, 150 yards from there and uh and it's so because that's been that popped up on my timeline three days ago three or four days ago and it's been that's been four years ago since that happened and it was hilarious because yesterday morning what birds weren't coming in where we were were going down over there and every and i'm not kidding you every single one of them they go down over there he would he wouldn't say a word he would just look at me and just shake his head, and because <laughs> because that's how that day started was we were in the particular spot we were in yesterday morning, and which it's a very easy, convenient spot. I went there yesterday because I want to take my little boy. First time he'd ever been, so took him. He can stand on dry land and and he can run around on the on the bank and have a good time. And I don't know if y'all saw the pictures. He's picking up empty holes and having a big time. So anyway. But that's how that started. So four years ago was we were standing there in a spot we hunt. I mean, semi-regularly, and um, and anyway, it just wasn't wasn't happening there. But the birds were going in this other hole that we hunt. So well, let's just go over there. And at the time, I was married. Bo wasn't married. My brother-in-law. Um, I'd only been married for a couple years then. I guess maybe him and Brittany had just gotten married. Um, but anyway, so it. I mean, it's just you just walk around. So we walked around there. And we got in there and we started setting up. And it was probably eight o'clock. And that morning, beautiful day, nothing about it. We had hunted that hole about two weeks before. I had a great hunt like we usually do. It's a it's a fantastic spot. So we were just going, and it's an easy spot to hunt. Very easy to get to. You don't walk 
probably 30 yards out into the water. And you stand on a little high spot. It's very easy. And, and like I said, we had my wife and, and my sister-in-law with us, so it was an easy spot to get to. And we get in there, and my brother-in-law said, well, I'm going to throw out the decoys, whatever. And, and it was a dead calm day, so I'm going to fix up the jerk string. I said, that's fine. Go ahead. So I was getting our bags hung up and screws hung in the tree and, and me and my wife and sister-in-law were standing there <laughs> and Bo just stops my brother he just stops about 20 yards from me and I said what are you doing nothing 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 I said okay I mean it was just weird he was just walking out there you know stringing up decoys on drug train and then he starts he, he goes to the he sidesteps a little bit hey and he did he have that another did step. he have that look did he have that look on his face like, mm, something's wrong? Not yet. It wasn't until he, he sidestepped and then he took about one, maybe one and a half more forward steps. And then he did. Mm. And, and and that's when he mm. went, huh. He went, hmm. I said, Bo, what are you doing? I mean, birds were working. You know, we're, we're trying, you know, and I was like, what are you doing? Nothing, nothing. I said, well, come on. I mean, dang, let's hunt, you know. And of course we, we, we fight like we're brothers anyway and I you know, and I'm telling him, I said, Man, come on. Like get out of the hole. Let's hunt. And he just turned around and he said, I don't wanna be that guy. And I said, What are you talking about? He said, Well he said, I mean I'm just saying we hunted here the other day and we had three of us that, you know, like limited out and he said, And we were walking in and out all through here and I don't ever remember kicking this log. And I said, Well, hmm. Bo, I mean you're six foot tall, I'm six foot tall. The other guy was with us, the tall guy, said, we all got long strides. We were probably just stepping over it. He said, yeah. He said, I don't know. He said, just come out here and see what you think. Said, okay. So I walked out there. And, it, <laughs> and I walk out there, and I took a stick. And I had my shotgun on my shoulder, and I took a stick with me. I said, all right, well, where is it, you know? And he said, right here. He said, I'm kicking it, my right foot. I said, okay. So I kicked it. I had that stick, and I felt along the bottom, and I found it. And then I said, okay. Yeah. And I, I kicked it. I said, I don't know. It's got a little give to it. Nothing real weird to me. Just like a log rolling over on the bottom, you know. I mean, he said, I don't know. I said, well, Bo, let's hunt, man. Come on. And he said, well, I, I, I just want to be sure. And the water's a little, maybe not really thigh deep, right at your knees. He said, oh, well, I'm, I want to be sure. I said, well, fine, you be sure. I said, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to pick it up. My foot. I got my foot under it. I'm going to pick it up. I said, okay, pick it up. I said, I'm walking back over here. <laughs> so hmm. so he, 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 you know, nuzzled his foot under it, apparently, and he lifts it up. Well, I, <laughs> and, and so we were standing shoulder to shoulder, and so I turned to the right to turn to walk around. And when I turned to the right, and as I was doing that in my peripheral, you know, I see Bo, he's lifting his foot, you know, lifting his foot up. And his foot wasn't quite out of the water yet. But so, and that's that's what's in my peripheral vision is I'm turning to the right. Well, when I turn to the right, something starts, I can feel it right about about where your boots stop on on your waders. That's where I can feel it. And it's something coming up my shins. And it comes up my shins, and by the time it gets to my thighs, it comes out of the water, and it's a gator tail. And I said, Bo? That ain't a log. And I turn around, and so if you ever seen a gator, <clears throat> you know they. If you ever seen the underside of one's jaw, you know their jawline is really defined, and it comes mm-hmm. it comes around and it's really round. Well, he had the point of his foot 
right in that soft spot right under one's chin. And that sucker's oh, mouth God. was right in Bo's oh, belly button. Man. <laughs> oh, and, man. And this dude, was, and then look, I wasn't at the end of the tail. I was about midways through. And Bo and I are about mm-hmm. 10 feet apart at this time. And there was a lot of words said. I'm not going to repeat half of them. <laughs> but Bo couldn't breathe. He just, I mean, and the thing was, which it was hilarious about 30 seconds after this. And it's the second, I mean, the the gator, when he when he surfaced, when Bo surfaced him, his eyes just barely rolled, I mean, just barely open. I mean, he was laying there lethargic as all can be. It was cold, you know. But, but still, that's not what you want to see at 8 o'clock in the morning sure. in your belly button. I mean, you know. And Might as well, well be Bo, a T-Rex at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, so... Bo, it was, as soon as he got his foot out from under it, he takes two steps to do his best to run. And and he didn't do very good. I mean, he tripped and fell. I mean, he did. He fell in the water, face down. And all like I movie, did was his... Man. That's right. Like, what, his happened, jacket, like what happened in a movie. <laughs> that's it. It's, I mean, it was exactly what happened in a movie. So Katie, my wife, she could. She was watching all this. I mean, she wasn't 20 feet from us. She's watching all this play out. And all Bo can get out of his mouth was, it's a gator, it's a gator. Well, his wife couldn't see it. She thought he was kidding and thought it was funny when he fell face first in the water. Katie could see it, and she was freaking out because she thought she was supposed to watch somebody die. Well, anyway, when Bo fell in, just straight on his face, I didn't try to even pick him up. He was wearing a a Drake jacket and he had that kind of thicker collar. I just grabbed him by the collar and I just drug him through the water all the way to the bank where he could finally get his feet under him again. And, I mean, we stood there for a minute. <laughs> he, I mean, you know, and, and what was bad was apparently somewhere along the way, and, and I assume it happened as soon as the gator surfaced, and I didn't notice this till probably – well, it was until we got on the bank bank, so it was three or four minutes later. I didn't realize that I, somewhere along the way I had thrown the safety off on of my shotgun. Katie said, yeah, you threw your safety off and pointed at him. I was like, oh, I, I didn't even remember any of that. Like, I, I didn't – I don't remember any of that. I just, anyway, so we got – when we got onto the bank and, you know, I had to walk maybe a couple hundred yards to the truck. We got to the truck, and, and Bo was I – mean, I, Rightfully so. He was freaking out. I mean, he was. I was laughing. I thought it was funny. After I got on dry ground, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Until oh, then, it was, a little, it was a little shaky. But <laughs> my poor brother-in-law stripped down to his boxer. He said, y'all think I'm having a heart attack. I think I'm dying. You know, he was burning up. Yeah, couldn't really. talk. Couldn't walk. So anyway, um, man, you get that on video. Oh, and look, and look you talk he about did, viral. Look, we had... Um, I, to my knowledge, to this day, there's still a dozen or more decoys floating in that hole. I, I, could they, I said, what about it? He said, I don't want them. He said, I don't want anything. He said, leave it all. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so we we did. I, I, I found one of those decoys turkey hunting one year. It, it floated up to the floated up to the bank um, when the water got real high or something. So but it's it's funny. I mean, it's 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 hilarious now, but. Um, at the time, and there's it was. been no, no. At the time, it was, and there's been times. Um, actually, this year, all fun and games till somebody gets hurt. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And and I'll only say this because I'm not planning on hunting the rest of this season. This year is the first year in 
Well, since then, no, in in five years, uh, it's the first year that we haven't at least seen a four or five footer while we were duck hunting. Now they they don't like people. They don't like interacting with people. They go the other way. And um, you know, one morning, I, apparently, I kicked a little one up uh, out out of a out of his little hole he was in. Um, because I, I, anyway, I, I was just walking, messing with decoys. And, and when I came back, I just turned and looked in my, my headlight and right next, I mean, right next to me. And that was the picture I put on the duck South page was a little, he was, um, maybe four foot and he sat there and, and, you know, we tried to move him and get him out of the way and stuff. And he didn't want to, he just, he kept, he would just bury himself up. You'd look down there and the water be real muddy. And then when it would kind of clear off. You could just see the top of his back, and he just he laid there. We sat there and shot ducks all morning, and he he just laid there. They they don't I mean they're so lethargic, and but but and they don't like human interaction. If they're lively at all, they go the other way. I've never had any kind of bad experience with them, but it's still still a gator. It's still a gator, <laughs> and and you know and belly we, it wasn't. Uh, four footer that we picked up uh it was you know more along the lines of 11 or 12 there was a there was one killed um on private ground that you know, our, our, right there next to us that in that long story short in that same break in that same slew that next september there was one killed that was 12 four and I wouldn't be surprised if that was him but I also wouldn't be surprised if there's not dozens of them out there like that I mean they're they're there it's just, um, you know, but, but the one yesterday was. Tony Vandemore is accused of a lot of things, but the biggest one that he's, he gets accused of daily is short stopping the ducks. And, you know, he was on the podcast here last year, about, about this time last year. And I brought it up to Tony. I wanted to hear what he thought about people accusing him of shortstopping the ducks and hold the birds up up there through all of duck season. So listen to what he has to say now. I think when I was up there, one of the questions that popped up, and I actually saw, I don't know if it was you or who it was, that showed me a conversation between you and Martin at Duck Commander. But I was asking you, hey, what happens when the season's over with? Because you, you guys close December the 31st. All, everybody south of you still has another month of the season. The rumors and gossip that goes that go around about Habitat Flats, Tony Vandemore, man, they're holding the birds up. They're holding the birds up from us. They don't make it down here because of people like that. And I remember you telling me and showing me in a text message between you and Martin, hey, we throw our boards, man. We're sending them south. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once... The, the last day of duck season, I take the water off off all of our ag fields. I mean, by that point in time, we've we've had our fun with them, for one. But for two, we don't have any food left um, in the cornfields. I mean, it it you can't plant a big enough cornfield to feed a big number of ducks for for an extended period of time. I mean, if we can hold them for forty or fifty days, I'm tickled to death. But by the end of the season, you know we've We've had our fun with them, and, and we're taking take all the water off our ag. We'll leave it on the moist soil so that they'll have, have a good place to eat and recharge on their way back north. Uh, healthier hens, when they hit the breeding grounds, are going to have better broods. But you got to keep in mind, up here, we're far enough northward. It, it still gets cold for the most part. I mean, all of our 
all of our moist soil and, and stuff is locked up by the end of duck season. So we'll just take the take the water off the corn and get all them birds south. I mean, it's it's not like we're short stopping any ducks. I mean, there's a lot of ducks that that are wintering in Missouri as a whole. Don't get me wrong, but we don't have anything to do with that. I mean, the Missouri River not freezing. That, was, uh, that, was, that has a that was, that a, a, that was another conversation that you and I had because you were talking about how the the Missouri River. I mean, unless you know, we can't do anything about that. I mean, that Missouri River's got got plenty of current to where it's not going to freeze solid bank to bank. There'll be a bunch of flow ice get in there where you can't get a boat up and down it and then it's like a big refuge uh, but as long as those ducks can can get food in the dry fields you know the hardier ones uh, they're going to stick around and there's you know there's ducks that don't make it to us that, that don't ever get out of south dakota and make it to us i think i think some are are definitely getting hardier but but the grand majority at least in my opinion still migrate uh, you know a hundred thousand ducks or two hundred thousand ducks that stay in South Dakota and don't get to us. I, I'm not saying that that they're short stopping us or they're getting hardier because, in the grand scheme of things, that's not that many. You know, if we stop, say the Missouri River stops three or four hundred thousand, uh, you know, all winter, which would be a big number. And the grand majority, that's that's in the grand scheme of things, that's not very many. I mean, those ducks are. Still migrating out of our area now. I, I can't, I can't comment on you know southern Missouri uh, because I'm not down there. But up in northern Missouri, it's still cold. We, we still have pretty good, pretty good winters. We don't get snow necessarily like we used to, but but we get a lot of ice. I don't think my good friend David Lindsay had any clue what was going to happen on a turkey hunt that he had asked one of his good friends which happened to be a Muslim to go with him the Muslim turkey hunt in the old MS Ducks days that story became legendary and everybody when they saw David wanted him to tell this story so you're about to hear that right now can you tell the Muslim turkey hunt story. Oh my God! Oh yes, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, I told that one. Told it to Rocky. This is something I get. I get told. I get asked to tell every year. I grew up South Mississippi. We we used to. Uh, I, I, kudos to the guys at Turkey Hunt South Mississippi. Y'all do the hardest thing possible. Uh, I hunted seven years down there before I ever shot a bird, and then when I moved up to Jackson for to to you know get my job and everything like that, man. I started hunting with a friend in Montgomery County, and, oh, I was a turkey master. I was beating them every time I went. I mean, there was, I told Rocky, there was one tree that I killed. I, we killed seven birds from this one tree over the course of two years. Now, I only shot, like, one or two of them, but I called. I would call them up for anybody. Made a friend with this guy who's in my neighborhood. The story goes, and, I, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll use a, a, a fake name. His his, uh, his name was Jaffrey. He, he was a what we call he was a southern gentleman, but he was a uh, he was a southern gentleman from Pakistan. He was he was he was he was a redneck in every sense of the word, except for the fact that he was from Pakistan. He he loved to hunt. He loved to fish. He 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 had fully adopted our Mississippi lifestyle. And I had just killed a nice gobbler, and I was talking to him about it. He said, "You asked me." He said, 
he said, so David, do, do, when you shoot the turkey, do the turkey run off? And, and I said, well, no, as, as a matter of fact, they, they hit the ground. They, a lot of times they flop. And, you know, I'm not really so sure that, tur- that the gunshot actually kills the turkey. I think it just stuns it long enough that you can run out there and wring its neck. And he, said, he looked at me and he said, oh, David, I would very much like to kill the turkey. <laughs> well, look, dude, I'll, I'll call one up for anybody. You can come with me anytime you want. A few days later, I found one, and I called him, and I said, Jeffrey, look, let's go. I've got one. I picked him up the next morning. He actually lived in my neighborhood. I picked him up. We ran up to uh, Montgomery County right outside of French Camp. We started walking down the hill. We, it, it's uh, about a three-quarter mile walk down, the, down this hill into the bottom where we were going to hunt. Had the bird put to bed. I knew exactly the tree he was in. He was in the bottom that we were going to kill him in. About halfway down the hill, he looked, Jeffrey looks at me, and he says, hey, I've got to go back to the truck. I forgot something very, very important. I'm like, well, fine. We're, we're late. Um, can you do without it? And he said, no, I've got to go back. So I handed him the keys, and I just stood there in the dark. A few minutes later, he came back. He came running back up to me, and we went on down to the hill. He got to the tree. It was already daylight. Like, you could see your feet. And I'm like, this turkey's seen us. We're busted. There's no way we're going to get on this bird. Sun comes up. I'm calling softly. Nothing. There's not a peep. I don't hear a hen. And I'm like, it, 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 we're done. This, this bird has seen us. We are done. And about 7 o'clock, uh, Jaffrey's sitting on my, on, my, on my right. I'm on my left. Uh, and I'm running a video camera. He's got a shotgun. And I've got my shotgun sitting off to the side. And he looks over at me, leans over to me, and he says, so, David, what time do the turkeys come out? And I, and I just, I, I'm like, it just, it just kind of struck me as funny. I'm like, okay, well, let's just give it 30 minutes. And if no, we don't see anything, we'll go walk around. Five minutes later, I'm not even calling, and this bird gobbles about 70 yards away on his own, and he's standing behind a treetop. And I had called him, you know, I, I, so I, I said to Jaffrey, point, point, point your gun at the decoy's head and get ready. I got the video camera up running, and I, went, I just went, yelp, yelp, yelp. And the turkey gobbled one more time, came out from behind the tree, and saw the, uh, the Jake decoy that I had at 20 yards, full sprint. And he, was, and he looked like he was going to run over it like a linebacker. I mean, just he looked like he was about to smoke that decoy. He slid to a stop right in the face of the decoy and strutted. And, oh, it was a show, man. He was, man, he was an awesome bird, big, long, thick beard. I could see the spurs from where I was. I'm like, man, this, this is a nice bird. You know, so I'm, I'm just videoing it and watching him. And I look over at, at, uh, at Jaffrey, and he's just breathing down the barrel. and. Finally, about that time, the turkey dropped his strut and started doing that head bob thing that, that they're going to do just before they run. And I said, shooting, shooting, shooting. Well, Jaffrey can't hear me because he's praying. And, and, and I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's saying because it's all in Pakistani. I hear Allah, Allah occasionally. So I know it's a prayer. I'm like, shooting, shoot the turkey, shooting, nothing. So, I, you know, you know how you, when somebody's praying, you can kind of tell if they're winding up. I mean, if they're if they're ending it, I, he's 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 talking in Pakistani, so I can't. I don't under, I don't know whether he's close to finishing or not. I'm like shooting, shooting. So about that time, I'm like the turkey's just really nervous. So I start reaching for my gun, and just as I got my hand on my gun, I hear boom, and the turkey he had hit him mid chest, right above the beard. The turkey reached for the sky and crashed. <laughs> On the ground, lifeless, didn't flinch. I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Never seen one do that. 
No flop. And I run, no flop. So I, I run out to the turkey. He's stone cold dead. He hadn't flinched. And I'm thinking, oh, Jaffrey's not going to like this, you know, because I told him the bird's flop. Well, I picked the bird up by the feet to show it to Jaffrey. And about the time I got the turkey's feet, even with my knee, it came to life in my hand. Hooked my glove and started spinning. And he's spinning laps around my head. And the glove on my right hand is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And I can't feel it. But Jaffrey, about that point, walks up. And he's got this this knife. And, 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 and I, you know, the way I... The way I wrote it on the old Duck South page is it's, it's more like a blade. A blade's a, a better description. Um, probably could quarter an elephant with it. I mean, it was huge. And I've been with this guy since 4 o'clock that morning, and I haven't seen this thing yet, so I'm wondering where in the world he kept it. How did he get, you know, how come I've not seen this thing? Well, it turns out that's what he went back to the truck to get. Uh, and um, <laughs> so he walks up, and he has this knife, and he's holding it out to his side, and he's walking up, and he says, so, David, do you mind if I cut the turkey's head off? <laughs> like, yeah, go ahead, do it. I need Please. you to do that, like, right now. Please cut this turkey's head off. So he grabbed him by the snaz and sliced his head off. So now I've got a decapitated turkey, and he's holding the head, and it's just pouring blood out of, you know, out of its, uh, out of his neck. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, this has never happened before. There's no way that this has ever <laughs> happened in this state. Oh golly! So, well, well so David, come to so, find out, that's what you, uh, if, for him to eat that turkey, he had to kill it in a very particular way. He had to he had to do it almost like a kosher preparation, where he had to bless it before he shot it. Then he had to you know to, you know to cut its uh, head off and bleed it and and bless it again and everything like that. Oh man, what a what an but, David. Two things there. One, you didn't know you're going to be the one who had to get bled on when this thing's head got cut off. No. And two, Rocky is chasing this turkey up in the Oxford area. He could use your assistance tomorrow if you like calling turkeys for people to kill. I think he'd be appreciative <laughs> if you'd come help him kill it. Like I said in the opening of the podcast, one of the most famous stories or talked about stories on the podcast is when a duck guide steals your band. That story and that podcast episode created so much conversation in the same sense of Fools and Ryan Warden has created a conversation uh, on their particular topics and things that happened to them. You know, Dylan DeWeese, back when the podcast was small, created that same type of conversation when a duck guide steals your band. You know, you or... In this case, his speckle belly. Dylan tells it in such great detail, too. He's very comfortable on the podcast. Um, It's a great story, one that I think you'll enjoy. A lot of you probably hadn't heard this particular episode because it was back at the very, very beginning of the podcast life. I mean, it was still a new infant. But anyway, here's Dylan. Telling the story about being on a guided hunt where he shoots a banded speck and somehow the band disappears. Let's just say Dylan wasn't too happy with it. But listen to this. Listen to what Dylan has to say about it now. Let's talk about how this all the, the, the story with the band all came about because 
I, I'm going to let everybody in on this. I have not heard this story yet. I told Dylan, do not tell me the story until he tells it on the podcast. So I've been waiting just, well, not like you, but I've been waiting all day to hear this story about the band. So, all right, I'm going to break in, Dylan, as I have questions, but you go ahead. All right. Well, uh, so I was 18 at the time the story took place. I was fresh out of high school, and I was uh, going to my first year of college. I went to a community college near my deer camp, or hunting camp, and uh, lived at my hunting camp, um, family hunting camp, so, you know, no other guests, just me and my grandmother lives right down the road, so I ate pretty good and uh, hunted. I mean, just every chance I got, uh, more than any 18-year-old boy should have the opportunity to last. Um, it was my first season ever to have my own dog. Uh, he was fresh out of training, and, I mean, I just I was in love with it. Uh, I worked him. I mean, I just I wanted to be sure. By the time the season got right, the ducks were here, that everything was just running silky smooth, and uh, I didn't have to worry about them. He'd just, you know, be on fire. So, beginning of the year, I uh, got on a youth hunt, went on a catfish pond. It was my dog's first hunt. It was awesome. Uh, they had a bunch of shooting, and um, actually, the opening morning, uh, it was super hot that year. It was 2015. And it was like 70 degrees. We were hunting in T-shirts and layout blinds on the bank of Catfish Pond and killed like five-man limited gadwalls. And that was my dog's second hunt. It was awesome. But after that, uh, it I mean, it was like we couldn't catch a cold front or anything. And uh, we didn't have any fresh birds for a while. So we frequented the Catfish Pond just trying to get my dog as much work as we could. And uh, my cousin gave me a call and asked me if I wanted to go with him and one of his friends that invited him to the Boot Hill of Missouri. And at this point, you know, I'm 18 years old. I've hunted my entire life in the state of Mississippi. And, uh, you know, given all the opportunity I knew, to go to Missouri, you're going. I was given the opportunity to go to Missouri, and uh, it was kind of a business trip for my cousin. So, I mean, it was free, and uh, so I was ecstatic, you know, to get the opportunity to go, and uh, so we loaded up and, and headed north, and uh, we got there, and, and his buddy, who had the pit, um, I mean, he had some bad news for us. Uh, it's December, you know, mid-December, and they have killed like five ducks out of their pit all season. And I, I don't know how much you've hunted there, but you either have a good pit or you don't. And uh, it's it's uh, a crazy place. And so, all right. So, um, at what point in fifteen was this? I, this was. Uh, I mean, this is like probably December fourteenth, the day we drove up. Or no, uh, it was um, December sixteenth, actually. And I'll tell you this. If, if for those that can't remember that 15 season, that November, gosh, 
and we didn't get any rain all the way up till till January. Uh, I think it was the first week in January. The first and the first real cold front that that came through. It was hot. It was dry. Man, it was awful that year. But go ahead. It was it was really tough. And uh, actually, that that hunt that we killed those catwalls, we looked at probably a thousand catfish ponds, and you know there were plenty of them that had shovelers and bluebells. I mean, it was the very end of the day. The sun was about to go down, and we pull up over this levee. And it was just slapped over the catwalk. And we're like, oh, okay, yeah, we know where we're going in the morning. And, uh, I mean, it, it plan played out great and, and had a great hunt. It was like 25-mile-an-hour winds on a catfish pond, which made it a little interesting. Um, but uh, it still turned out to be great. But, yeah, it was it was really tough. There was not a lot of water and uh, not any fresh birds, really. Um, but, yeah, so we get to Missouri, and he tells us, we man, we hadn't been killing much, so we'll go. And uh, that night before we went to bed, he got a phone call, and it was some local guys that he knew and uh, had become friends with. And they had told their clients not to come. They were really kind of in the same situation we were down here. Uh, They didn't have any fresh birds. Well, so they told their clients not to come, and sure enough, they went out to their field, and it was covered up in dust. And so um, those guys are really they're all about some numbers up there i mean it, it it's crazy and and uh, i actually never kept numbers until i got my dog um so they invite us to come hunting with them for free and uh you know we were all for it we're like well i mean these guys are guys if anybody's going to be killing some ducks up here you know it'll be them we probably will have a lot better chance of having a good day with them opposed to, uh, you know, going to the pit that's killed five ducks all season. So, uh, we get there that next morning. And so, hold on, hold on. Let me make sure I got this right. So, you're buddy hunting with a guide. Alright. So, yeah. Uh, um, I am the guest of the guest of the guest on this hunt. Uh, I mean, I just I got lucky to tag along and these guys, they knew each other, and I think he might have leased his pit through them. Um, so that's that's probably the relationship. Um, I know he does now. Uh, they also subleased some pits up there, and, and so that's you know, another way they're making money. But um, so we get there. Well, There's a lot of people that do that, but go ahead. Up there. Yeah. So so we get there, and, I mean, I'm from Mississippi, and, you know, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Um, this is an absolute circus act of a decoy spread. Uh, there's 300 full-body geese and 300 full-body mallards and 20 splashing flashers and wonder ducks with metal feet, hardwired. You know, I mean, it, it was crazy. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, and... Um, you know, even to this day, it was quite impressive, uh, the decoy spread that we were hunting over. And we're in a 30-foot pit blind. And, you know, I mean, it, I'd never seen anything like this. At 18, I'd, I don't think I'd ever even hunted that pit blind before. So all this was just new to me. I'm just kind of taking it all in. Oh. We really, I mean, that morning early... Um, we did okay. There were some teal coming in and, 
and uh, we killed a few. But as the sun came up and on into the day, the hunting just continued to get better. Um, there was a lot of specks in there, and we were killing some, um, you know, here and there. Hey, and, and, what what town were you close to in Missouri? Uh, we were near Kennett. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we wound up with like 25 ducks and, and some specks, but, um, so during the hunt, there was, there was some stuff that, uh, even though I was super excited to be there, wound up making this, I mean, probably the worst hunt of my entire life. Um, <clears throat> there is a million things that can go wrong in a duck blind and still have fun. You know, um, I mean, you can get mad and, you know, upset about something. It, it doesn't matter and you still duck hunting and, uh, winds up being a blast. But <sighs> this guy, he had a really good male dog, um, from everybody that I talked to. I mean, his male dog was great. Well, because we weren't clients, he decided to bring his female. And uh, this was like her second hunt. And anybody who has had a dog or, you know, will know that, I mean, they're going to embarrass you. You're going to, they're not every day they're going to be on their A game. Um, and this guy just didn't get it. Uh, to them, it was almost like their dog was just a piece of machinery. And, uh, I mean, all it was, go get ducks. I mean, and, you know, I'm sitting here like my dog's my best friend. I've, you know, spent as much time with him as I could. You know, this guy straight out of the trainer, you know, right out of the box, you know, we're going hunting. And uh, never really hunted before. Obviously hadn't spent much time with her outside of, of the blind we were sitting in. So uh, this dog is not doing very well. Um, I was lucky enough to get to bring my dog on the hunt, and so he was, um, you know, getting to make a good bit of retrieves, and, and his dog picked up a few close to the blind. Well, we, you know, we shot some that landed a little bit further out there, and he tried to send his dog. He just really couldn't figure out what he wanted her to do. And uh, it was, you know... It just got bad. It got really bad. Um, this guy... I mean, what was wrong with I mean, was the dog untrained? Was it just skittish? So was he, it... He had... Uh, I mean, this guy, had, he had spent like seven grand getting this dog trained. Or, you know, between the dog and getting it trained. And so, I mean, he's sitting here and he's like, well, I spent all this money on this dog and it's not worth a dang. And so he gets super frustrated and... Uh, really just kind of snaps and starts shocking the dog a lot well then he shocked the dog one time and it locked up and wasn't really wanting to go anywhere so he gets out of the blind walks over there and like kicks it in the stomach basically and then the dog kind of spins around and he kicked it in the face and uh you know that that really kind of caught me off guard um so, winds up, dog finally, like, he just says to hell with it, puts dog back in the blind and, and keeps hunting, um, goes and gets the bird himself. 
well, uh, shoot another bird down, and he tries to send the dog again. Dog doesn't know where it's going, gets out there, and he winds up just laying on the collar of this thing on, you know, 10. And, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a dog do this, but, I mean, this dog just started running in circles, and, I mean, just hollering, I mean, like nothing I've ever heard before, and he was just staying on it, and uh, wound up just laying down, didn't want to move, I mean, nothing. So, he gets all kind of mad, and, you know, throwing stuff, and gets up, and goes and gets the Polaris, and picks the dog up, and takes it to the truck, when he gets back, I mean, he is sitting there just cussing this dog, cussing the trainer, um, pretty much like, I'm I'm going to shoot that dog when we get home. And my cousin uh, is sitting there, and he is like, I cannot believe, you know, what what is going on. And he's like, look, man, like, I will buy that dog from you right now. Um, and, and you know, and the guy was just, he was like, how much you got? And my cousin, he has no idea. Uh, he wasn't just a huge duck hunter, but um, he, he sold me a good bit. And, and uh, he, he had no idea, you know, what a hunting dog was worth. And, and so, I mean, he offered this guy like 200 bucks. <laughs> and the guy, you know, it just pissed him off even worse. And I'm just sitting here shaking my head like, Dude, if you'd have asked me, I'd have given you five hundred dollars right now to walk, to just get this dog away from this guy. Like, um, it just gets to a point, you know. Some people just don't need to have dogs. Um, if you got a real short temper, I mean, it's probably not the best thing for you. Because uh, I mean, they'll frustrate you. They really will. And so that really kind of set the mood for the rest of the hunt. Uh, it was just, <laughs> I mean. There was not a lot of recovering from that. Uh, once that had happened, we were all pretty shaken up as, you know, this guy just went Hulk mode on his dog, and, and it really just kind of ruined the whole experience for everybody. You know, but, but this poor dog, I mean, it is its second hunt ever. And, uh, I mean, this was, not, this was not the way to break a dog into hunting by any means. You know, this is... It's second time ever to be in a blind, and this guy, I mean, kicked it square in the face. And and I, no. you know, and at that point, I mean, no I was just for that. Yeah, I mean, uh, and there's a fine line between punishing your dog for doing something that it knows it shouldn't do, and abusing a dog. And and that was well past that line. I mean, you know, and and a lot of people, including myself, I mean, my dog is like a child to me. And if somebody would have came up and kicked my dog in the face, we would have had a serious problem. You know, it had been a lot more than that dog getting sent home right then. And so, right. uh, let me let me make let me make a comparison. It, it kind of goes back to this, and this is that as being a guide forever and watching all these people bring in dogs, it's kind of like being in a little league baseball game, and the parents that. Yeah. Never spend any time with with their kids sitting in the stands hollering or at a basketball game, whatever. And they sit up there and they holler and scream at their kid in the middle of a one of these sporting events. But uh-huh. yet you want to you want to turn around and say to them, "How much time are you spending with them? 
Are you yeah. working with them at all? Yeah, I mean, and and I, you know, I guess this guy got lucky and had a good dog that you know he didn't have to do much with after he got it from the trainer. But this dog, you know, he hadn't spent any time with it, and uh, you know, for him to put that on the dog was it was just it was just a mess up situation all around, and we were not comfortable at this point. Um, this is the most uncomfortable moment of my entire life sitting in the duck blind, and. Uh, so, I mean, we're still sitting there. They just got done cooking breakfast or something. And, you know, me and my cousin are kind of looking at each other like, what just happened? Um, well, the guy gets back in the blind, and he's sitting there and just cussing away. And, uh, you know, I mean, we had some specs that were working and, and you know, started started killing specs. As, as the day went on, the specs really just kind of turned on. And so, I mean, we... We kind of just ignored it and just kind of pushed it back, and we're like, all right, we'll, we'll keep hunting. And uh had a single come off my end of the blind, and, and uh, I'll, you know, I was pretty fair on the spec call, and so I wound up calling this bird all the way in and uh, rose up and shot him and sent my dog on it. And uh, I think he knocked over some decoys or something right there next to the blind. So I hopped out of the blind to go fix whatever he messed up, and he comes back, and I grab the bird by the neck, and walking back to get in my little foxhole, and uh, the guy standing next to me is like, "Well, that goose has a band on," and <laughs> you know, and, and I was so used to my friends just messing with me, you know. I mean, we always play around with each other, and so I mean, I didn't even, you know, at first I was like, "Oh, he's just BSing me." And I go to get in the blind and look down, and sure enough, it did. And I was like, you know, I was just as happy as I could be. And, uh, I mean, as soon as I started to step foot in that blind, here comes, I mean, just the most inf- infamous words you've ever heard, all bands stay in the pit. And, <laughs> you know, at that moment, I'm just sitting here like, all right, um, I am the guest of the guest of the guest. You know, so I can make a scene right here, and and not only am I going to make myself look like an ass, I'm also going to make the two people who invited me look bad as well. And, <laughs> I mean, it is the hardest thing, hardest pill to swallow that I can imagine, just, you know, biting your tongue and saying, all right, and, uh, you know, they took oh, the bird. Right. Whoa, 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 all right. So when he made that statement, I understand you not saying much, but did yeah. anybody else say anything? No. Well, I mean, the blind was silent. Um, I'd, I'd I mean, be kind of like all of y'all. I'd kind of be in shock for a minute, too. Yeah. I mean, and and so, you know, at this point, I've hunted my entire life. I'm 18 years old, been shooting since I was five, and we always, I mean, growing up, I was extremely fortunate to have some great duck hunting land. And I've, you know, hunted my butt off my entire life. And here I am, first trophy ever of my duck hunting career, a banded spec that I called in. I clearly shot it. And, you know, my dog, my first dog ever that I've spent all this time with in the preseason, all this time you know, in the early season, making sure he was going to be on his P's and Q's. And, you know, here we go. 
finally get it. And, uh, you know, just kind of just pulls it out from under me. And, uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, you know, a, a lot of people would say, you know, oh, it's going to be a fist fight or whatever. But, you know, when you're in the moment, it's, uh, it's just really tough to, you know, it, it kind of t- takes you back. And, uh, it's just like, wow, I, I cannot believe that that guy just asked me that. And then, you know, expects it you know like it's a that that's their normal protocol is it's theirs so <laughs> i mean at this point i mean we're all just ready to go i mean i'm i'm just like oh my god you know um so we don't hunt but probably 15 more minutes and and wrap it up get out of the blind take a picture um I got my picture with my first band. I guess that's all I can all I can say about it. Because as soon as I took the picture, uh, he picked up the goose, uh, pulled the band off its leg, and then threw the goose at my feet and said, "Here, y'all can have this." <laughs> and I mean, I'm just sitting there like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, I I can't can't even handle it. Um, Did you so, mention to the guy that it was your first band? Did you say, "Hey, man, this is my first no, band"? No, I mean. And that is the one regret that I have is not saying, look, man, this is my first band ever, you know? And uh, I don't know if it would have changed anything, um, you know? Uh, and and I, I'll get into that here uh, shortly. Um, since then, I've been extremely fortunate in the past couple of years and um, have been really lucky honestly and and we've you know killed a couple and i've personally killed a few and uh i mean it's been awesome but it's like every time you kill one you think about my my first one you know have it somebody just took it from me and uh and you know i mean i'm not somebody who's just band hungry i mean i shot one with one of my good friends this year and I knew it was his first one. And, I mean, it's just one of those things like, you know, I've got a couple. He has never gotten to experience this, and he's worked just as hard as I have this season. You know, here, man, you can have it. Um, you know, I might get a replica of it or something, even, you know, just to remember it. Uh, I mean, it was just just one of those things like I was happy for him, and even though we both shot it, it didn't matter. It was his first and uh, I just kind of feel like that's the, the courteous thing to do in a situation like that. And I don't know. Those guys, they they just don't think like that, I guess. But because uh, they sure didn't even ask or care or anything. So it's been three years. And uh, I knew it was a long shot. But I just, you know, I muscled up the courage and, and decided I was going to find this guy. I was going to uh, track him down. I didn't have his number or anything. So I called my cousin, and I was like, man, like, do you still have your buddy's number that, you know, we hunted with that day? He's like, he's like, yeah, it should be the same. And so I got his number and called him, and uh, the guy still leases his pits from him. And the answer I got was, no, man, I don't feel comfortable giving you that information to call them because I still lease my stuff from them, and I don't want to lose it. And uh, I was like well wow (laughs) you know uh it was a real 
real brick wall there. And I was like, well, that freaking sucks. And, uh, luckily my, my girlfriend's family, uh, hunts up there in that area and, uh, tracked down their number. Cause I didn't even know, I mean, the outfit or anything. Um, I just, I remembered their last name and that was it. So wound up getting the guy's number and shoot him a message. And I mean, this is, Sincere of a message you can possibly send. I've got 40 bands, and I don't report any of them, or haven't in a long time. You know, sorry, nothing I can do. And uh, it was just a killer. I mean, you know, but I guess it was it was nice to get a little closure on it. Just the fact that it wasn't going to happen. But uh, really, they couldn't tough. give you a. No, I mean, it, number, he, nothing. Be able to replicate it? Nothing. I mean, he, he was, <laughs> man, I've got multiple spec and, and snow goose bands, and they all are the same size, whatever, and I'm just sitting here like, God. I mean, just nothing. And uh, I guess my, my real just issue with the whole deal is, is we're talking about a guy who's got 40 bands, 40, you know, and he's, you know, guides and so many, you know, he probably sees them a lot more than the average person, but the guy has four. And, uh, you know, there's one on there. I mean, it was just like nothing. <laughs> you just could care less. So still stuck without it, but I guess I'm just going to have to deal with it. Guys, I hope you've enjoyed some of my most favorite stories that have been told on the podcast lot of good ones and you know as this podcast grows branches out continue to have great people on here there'll be a lot more great stories told and you know two or three four or five years down the road when we do a greatest of i mean we will look back and say wow man Guys, I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of my favorite stories that have been told on the podcast. There's been a lot of great ones. Uh, I appreciate you being patient. The ones that are dedicated followers of the podcast that listen to every single one of them. It's a lot of you guys. We appreciate you. I th- appreciate you being patient through this heat of the summer. And like I said in the opening, we're not producing a ton of new content. As far as the podcast goes right now, everybody's on vacation. Nobody's thinking about waterfowl hunting while it's 105 degrees. So we appreciate you being patient with us. Thank you again for being here. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.